Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? It is Friday, October 16th here in Omaha, Nebraska. It is a beautiful day, 45 degrees, sunshine, the leaves are turning. It is fantastic. This is why we live in the Midwest. Uh, I take a lot of crap for living here in Omaha, Nebraska, but uh, it's days like this that make it all worth it. Um, I want to thank my sponsors before we get started today. This is episode 45. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary very soon. Episode number 45, and the episode is being brought to you by CCS Group, Cheyenne, Josh, and all the folks at CCS Group. I want to thank you sincerely for all of your support. The Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group, Jim Cover and all the consultants uh, with Nebraska Department of Labor. Thank you, guys. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing out there, and we certainly appreciate your support. Safety reports. Uh, my good friend Steve Polich, and then finally Mid-America Martial Arts, um, Aaron Cerrone, my leadership expert who joins me uh, the last Friday of every month to talk about leadership and ways that we can uh, improve leadership in our safety programs. So thanks to all of those sponsors. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I think they know. My guest today, man, we are beaming these guys in from... Um, the nether regions, um, and I was going to say D.C., but I, in fact, it's Virginia. My guests are Jess McClure um, and Jim Seibert uh, with the National Grain and Feed Association. And Jess is coming to us, I believe, from Virginia. Is that correct? correct? And yep. uh, Jim is up in Wisconsin. Um, they are, I, I think, well, you guys can give me your official titles. Jess, you're some kind of a big shot, if I'm not mistaken, with Grain and Feed. I wouldn't say a big shot. I'm, I'm my, my official title is vice president safety and regulatory affairs. Nice. That's a big shot. That's a, that's a great title. And Jim, do you have anything that impressive? Uh, no, uh, I'm more of a little shot okay. and I'm <laughs> the director of safety education and training. Oh, fantastic. Well, so, and, and we have, and Jess and I, we have known each other for a number of years. You were with OSHA uh, back in the old days, just like I was. Jim, you and I have actually met at a, oh, it's been a few years ago now, it was a conference uh, with the local affiliate, the Nebraska Grain and Feed Association. You guys come out here periodically and do training for them, and I know we met on one of those occasions, if not more than one, so um, I, we've known each other for quite a number of years. I, I appreciate your being with me today. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. It is, man, it's harvest here in Nebraska, and I think actually close to concluding harvest, if I'm not mistaken, but... Um, I thought it would be interesting just to talk a little bit about the Grain and Feed Association and grain safety since it's we're right in the middle of that time of year. So thanks for being here, guys. Well, definitely uh, we appreciate the invitation. We look forward to uh, chatting with you um, this morning on some very important topics. And, you know, thought since you, you mentioned uh, that uh, you and I worked together back in the old days uh, of OSHA, I could just give it, give the audience here a little background here. So I, I've been with uh, the National Grain and Feed Association for 13 years now, which is kind of hard to believe. That's a good, that's good luck though. 13 is a good luck number. So looking, uh, looking forward to continue working with the association, but before then, before I came to, to NGFA, I worked in the uh, Office of Outreach Services and Alliances. So right. my job was compliance assistance, right? So I had the opportunity to work directly with Doug. I'd be the person there in DC, you know, the, the bureaucrat <laughs> huddled in my cubicle, and I'd be sending the emails out to people like Doug, who's the uh, compliance assistance specialist, and saying, hey, here's some good information that you all can distribute and get out to the um, 
and get out to the stakeholders. And Doug would do the same thing. He's like, here, here's some info from Region 7 that we would like to have posted on the uh, on the OSHA page. So that's how Doug and I, we, we work together. And then after my my time at uh, uh, working for the government, a federal agency, I said, you know, I, I think I'd like to go back and, and work in the private sector. Mm-hmm. So that's where I had the opportunity and was hired by NGFA and and um, and uh, have been there since. Did you actually, you didn't start your safety career with OSHA though, did you, Jess, or how did you? So my, my safety background, it started actually with another trade association. So I started, you know, I was in... Um, I, I came into D.C. I, I spent my last semester of college interning uh, here in D.C. and decided to stay, enjoyed it. Uh, and so I got a job with the trade association called the Shipbuilders Council of America. Oh, very interesting. So I worked for the Shipbuilders Council, which people don't realize that's a pretty, you know, that was an OSHA's, uh, the uh, SST, as they call it, the site-specific targeting, right, because of the high uh, incidence rate in shipyards. Very dangerous, a lot of confined space, hot work. Uh, chemicals. So I worked for that trade group and I was their manager of um, um, environmental um, safety and health issues. So I had the opportunity to go to the yards and work with a lot of these uh, facilities and cover a lot of those issues because there's the, just like with the grain handling industry that has a vertical standard, um, 272, same for the the Mm -hmm. shipyard industry. They have 19, actually their own horizontal, 1915 um, is specific to the industry. Right, right. Interesting. I did not know that, man. That's wow. You've got a pretty diverse background. Yeah, very diverse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, Jim, how did how did you end up in this insanity, man? How did how did you get to this point? Uh, it, it it's kind of complicated, um, <laughs> but uh, I'll try to simplify yeah, it a little us bit. The, give us no. the short version, but I'm interested. Yeah, short version. Yeah. So my background or my education is is more off the farm. Uh, my, uh, I have a bachelor's of science with an agronomy option. So I'm an agronomist by, by trade. I worked in that industry a little bit during college and immediately after, um, I been active duty army and then, uh, national guard and, uh, just the end of, uh, October here, um, I'll be fully retiring from the, uh, Nebraska army national guard. And so, um, for any prior service people in the, in the military, uh, they'll know that a hey, safety is always a discussion, you know, training to take lives is not worth taking a life and training. And, and that, uh, that spills over into actual combat deployments as well. And so, um, that's the history there. And then, uh, on my last, uh, overseas deployment, um, I, I came home about 2008 and uh, a company took a chance on me not having prior uh, work experience in operations. And I managed a alfalfa pellet production company for a year before that company sold to a different company. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I joined a, a very large uh, grain company where I was a manager and a production supervisor for uh, six years. And then uh my wife, the company she worked for at the time, was a member of the National Grain and Feed Association, and she saw a the advertisement for this position, and she read it and said, Jim, this is you. You're all about rules. Everything you do is talking about rules, and it's black and white, and follow this. And she said, that's, that's you. You should look into it. 
And uh, so Jess made the big mistake of hiring me, yeah. and now I'm just a thorn in the side. Perfect. I, I didn't make the final decision. I just made a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Wow, that's a great background, too. The two of you together are really – uh, cover the gamut of what's needed to do this job. So that, that really is fantastic. Um, so, you know, the grain industry here in Nebraska obviously is is huge. And while I was with OSHA, it was a, a significant amount of our time and energy was spent with the grain industry, good and bad, I think, uh, from a compliance assistance standpoint. You know, we did a lot of interaction with the grain industry and certainly from an enforcement standpoint as well, unfortunately, perhaps. Um but it is a huge part of our of our economy here in Nebraska and and nationwide, and I know the National Grain and Feed Association does a lot of different things. But you have a significant role in the the trajectory of safety in the grain industry, and it it has been um, my observation has been that it it uh, I don't know if the, it would be the right description, but it lagged a little bit for a period of time. I think. The industry was somewhat slow to pick up on some of these things, and so the association probably had a big part in driving that. Um, tell me a little bit, if you would, just you know uh, what the association has been doing and, and the successes that you've seen out in the industry. Um, what, what's going on right now? Well, well, uh, you know, Doug, I think Jim and I can give you two unique perspectives here, right? So I can give you my perspective coming in to NGFA without – previous experience in the industry. And then I know Jim can give you his perspective actually working in the industry and seeing everything firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. I think is that, is that no. I, is what I've seen, what I noticed is, you know, when I came on board in 2007, um, you know, the, obviously what I learned is obviously one of the, you know, the, the, the main issues within the industry, as you referred to in the article that um, was published in the feed and grain, it was uncombustible dust, right? Mm-hmm. The, the series of uh, explosions that occurred in the late 70s and the, the fatalities, and that led to OSHA uh, developing the grain handling standard that primarily focused on uh, explosion prevention, all the research that NGFA was involved in that really contributed to the development of the standard. I mean, when you look at that, uh, that was a that was a really big, um, I mean, that's where NGFA really took the lead as far as safety goes. You get back, you get into the, uh, in, in the change, significant change within the industry, right? And how they handle that from a safety standpoint. I come on board and obviously with that, uh, uh, during that time, there was a, a significant increase in the number of engulfments, mm-hmm. entrapments, yeah. Yeah. right? And so that happened, you know, it, when 2010 it occurred after uh, that 2010, there was the wet harvest um, that led to that following year, all of those incidents. And then that led to the increased enforcement uh, upon the industry mm-hmm. from the agency, which at that time, I don't think anyone within the industry had quite seen that level of enforcement that was taking place within the industry. So with that, I think that led to a lot of the current activities that were, that were involved with, obviously from my perspective, doing a lot with the regulatory policy issues uh, and at the same time, developing a lot of training. I was like, I put my hands up uh, internally and said, I'm going to need some help here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't, I can't do it all. And that's why we need somebody like uh, somebody with that expertise from an operations standpoint to help in developing this material. Right. Right. And and Jim, I I don't know your, your perspective, you know, coming from, you know, from the industry. 
You, you keep saying the word expertise when you describe me, and, and I don't know if it's quite applicable. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that, uh, Jess, you're, you're spot on uh, with your assessment there. Uh, I want to highlight the fact that I, it was either 86 or 87 um, where Randy Gordon, our, our current president and CEO, him and a panel of uh, you, you professionals and, and university professors that were involved in um, ag engineering, uh, they produced a document. Um, I'll probably butcher the name a little bit, but it's one that I'm currently uh, rewriting and, and bringing up to, uh, you know, almost 30 years later now. Um, the, the grain handling firefighters manual or the grain elevators. Firefighting, firefighting and explosion prevention. Okay. Yes. And so um, they produced that document um, just ahead of OSHA coming out with the grain handling standard. And that really set into motion for the grain industry a, um, it, it was a, it it was a reactive state because they were behind the times and, and they had uh, been able to avoid uh, the microscope and, and it didn't, didn't take too long um, for uh, regulatory uh, bodies to, to see um, the decline and uh, the potential that, the industry had for or significant incidents. And so what the NGFA has done is, is built upon that first manual and continued forward and attempted to adapt along the way. And, and that adaption uh, adaptation started with the, the hiring of Jess and coming in with new ideas and um, different angles and, and how good he is at communicating with people um, and really getting um, good relationships and rapport across both lines to OSHA and to the members. And then with me coming from the facility and my specialty or what I would consider my strength is I want to talk to the operations employee. I want to talk to the production supervisor and the facility manager and, uh, we took a, uh, a direction of let us build material that whether it's one of the largest ABC grain companies or the mom and pop cooperative company that's one facility out in the middle of the country that we communicate in a way that um, is simple to understand and it provides a at least a pathway for them to take one step forward it's a show of good faith that they do assessments and that they develop a plan for that year and the year going forward because not co companies just can't afford to take an old facility and bring it all the way forward. So, uh, and, and be in full compliance, it, it, it's almost impossible. And so, um, that direction that the NGFA has taken and that focus and, and how just in my five years, I've watched it kind of ebb and flow to lockout, tag out, um, serious, serious infractions to bin entry infractions and uh, entanglements. Um, we're we're kind of riding the wave and attempting to focus on what we see coming back 
in from patterns of the past. Mm. So interesting. Wow. That's a lot. You guys said, just said a lot. There's a lot to unpack there, but one of the things I heard was, um, one of the biggest challenges that I that I have seen on on this on my small scale was the fact, much like you described, that there are huge corporate operators as well as these small town individual elevators. Perhaps um, the communication. I mean, getting that information disseminated even down to those little local elevators. Perhaps uh, you know the big operators, the ones that I deal with on, on occasion have really embraced that. And I know that they have um, uh, lots of information, a lot of, lot of communication and information dissemination. Getting that down sometimes to the smaller folks is much more difficult. Um, that has been an incredible challenge. And what you just mentioned, Jim, one of the things that I see that is also incredibly challenging is if we're working with older facilities, uh, you know, the conditions of some of those older, the concrete elevator structures and some of those operations, it is... As you said, if not impossible, it's incredibly difficult to get them into what would be considered a compliant condition. I, I think that is an ongoing struggle. In fact, um, CCS Group, you know, Custom Concrete Specialists, one of the things that they do is um, refurbish old concrete elevators structurally so that they're at least the structural integrity is sound. But, I mean, the electrical and all those other things are in, still incredibly challenging. Um, I've seen a lot of progress Though over the 25 years that I've been visiting grain elevators here in Nebraska from a safety perspective, are you guys seeing progress? Are they making progress? Well, I, I'll just say for, you know, the progress, something that's happening, you're right. You know, and you think when you started, when Jim started, when I started, one of the things that I've noticed and that our industry has been dealing with is consolidation, mm. right? And what's been happening with that is just like you said, when you think of, you know, the industry, how it was country elevators, third, fourth generation, you know, they had maybe one, two, three facilities a mile and a half down the road from the farm. You had the larger, bigger companies that were more of the terminal where they'd be handling all the shipment, all the rail shipments and, you know, taking it down to the export facilities, you know, or they load it on the river. And now what's happening is that a lot of the larger companies, they've been buying each other out. They've been merging a lot of the co-ops. And so now, the challenges within the industry is you have some of these smaller companies moving to these mid-sized companies and making that transition, mm. right? How do you make that transition and develop these programs to be at the same level as some of the larger companies, yeah. right? So that's been the big challenge. And just like, you know, as Jim, as Jim can describe too, some of these smaller facilities having to make that change, right? Having to realize, wow, a lot of this equipment materials, 30, 40 years old, we're going to have to spend the capital. Do we spend that capital or what about just merging <laughs> with, right. with, with another organization, right, Jim? Is that kind of your, your feel too, or from what you've observed? Yeah, I think that that is spot on. I, I don't think that I'd say anything worth the value to add to that. It's uh it's a phenomenon that is happening out there. Um, I mean, in some cases monthly and uh, it, it has an impact and it's, it's almost a twofold beast here where we don't want to lose that grain storage ability in the United States where we continue to keep shutting down and then, and then we run into, um, you know, capacity issues. 
Um, but in some cases where it is too hard for these smaller facilities to financially bring um, their locations up to standard, when a larger company comes in, um, they do have the capital uh, to turn a facility around and make upgrades and turn it into a, um, a, a new and effective, efficient machine. Um, and in some cases where mergers happen uh, of you know, cooperatives in some cases, it, it does um, allow a company to reallocate funds across uh, for projects and such like that. And, and another thing to add to that too, is like, you know, if you're, um, if you've, uh, a, you know, co-op or a, a larger company and a larger agribusiness uh, uh, corporation, you've, you've purchased, uh, you know, a fourth generation, you know, family country elevator, is it worth keeping that? Right. Or yeah. would the resources be better used to build something brand new from scratch mm-hmm. that would have all the latest technology and equipment and, and you know, some way safer, right? Right. right. Yeah, that is huge. And that, that, that's something that, uh, that I've encountered not only as an OSHA compliance person, but as a consultant, uh, I have a number of grain clients and they are always confronted with that same consideration. One of my clients recently merged and uh, basically doubled in size. And all of a sudden, they had to make those decisions. Do we, are we going to require, um, you know, longer or further transportation distances because we have to eliminate some of these these small locations that are probably out of compliance and can't be brought into compliance? Those are, I mean, I don't think people appreciate how challenging some of those decisions are. That's that's really a big deal, and I know they don't want to necessarily force the farmers to be driving greater distances. I mean, the, having, having the elevators in the local areas was uh, the intent, but I have seen these huge structure, these huge uh, operations um, created, developed or constructed maybe is the word I'm looking for where they are, you know, handling much more grain. They've got chemical storage. They've got a rail support. They've got a number of other, but it does, it kind of changes the, kind of the initial vision of how this all worked for the farmer, I guess. But I, I well, guess that was inevitable to some extent. True. And, you know, sometimes like with any, any family business, like it is for some of the smaller country elevator, um, country elevators, you know, you could have a third or fourth generation and you know what, that fourth generation doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, right. You know, sometimes right. they don't have a, there hasn't been a choice. That's why you've seen a lot of these mergers. If it's been within the family, as you know, sometimes some of the family members want to stay in others don't. And, right. you know, that has something to do with the two. Um, but you're right. The one, and the, one of the things that I think kind of leads to a lot of our outreach efforts, which are seen now um, because of a lot of this mergers, mergers that are occurring in the technology out there, the storage capacity on farms now is either equivalent or greater than what it was at the country elevator a mile down the road. So when you start seeing, hearing about why are there so many more, um, you know, engulfment and trapping incidents that, you know, that are occurring on farms, well, look at some of the storage capacity that these farmers have now compared to what they were, say, 30 years ago when they would go to the country elevator down the road, right? This is how the farm, that's like you're saying, this is how the producers are making up for that, you know, with that transition. Well, what about, I mean... What about attitudes? Are, are the attitudes uh, about safety evolving similarly to how these um, 
larger operations have evolved. I mean, when, when I first started, you know, back in the 90s when I was visiting grain facilities, oftentimes these local, maybe one or two uh, location operations, there, there was a, there was a uh, noticeable attitude towards safety or lack of appreciation for safety. It was just kind of, um, it was kind of that the work needs to get done attitude that oftentimes we see in farm-related industries. Uh, let's just get the job done, and that was challenging. Is the has the attitude changed? I mean, I know you guys have invested a lot of your time and energy and and passion into this outreach. Are you seeing a change in attitude towards safety? I'll let Jim take the lead on that one because I know he's seen he you well you've seen this firsthand. So I think you you could I think you'd be a good a good way to to start the discussion. Uh. I would say that I have seen it um, on exact polar opposites, uh, and and that's really kind of difficult to say. Um, I've seen the companies that have invested so much time and effort into safety and the uh, psychology behind establishing a new culture and starting that um, culture from a, the new hire perspective and their onboarding and um, their approach to um, attitudes and just human behavior um, has had a significant impact. It's, it, it has been encouraging to see that, that level of commitment to it. Um, I've seen companies just pour money into um, their systems and overhauling everything and guarding and um, really taking a different approach to every single task that they take. And when they're pre-jobbing or they're doing their JSA prior, they're looking at any and all hazards, not just what OSHA would be concerned about in this specific situation. Well, okay, we know this rules over here, but that's not everything. What about uh, all these other things? So they, they walk with their head on a swivel versus running to the problem. Um, so that's, that's one side of the spectrum. The, the other side is, is very much, um, on, on paper, they'll say that, yes, safety is important to us. We talk about it first thing every morning for a five-minute toolbox talks. And it's the attitude in which they approach it. Um, and, and we see it all the time in, in these incidents where uh, the attitude or the culture was just not there. They might have known how to do it correctly. They might have had the equipment to do it correctly. Um, but uh, we got to get it done mentality came in. Uh, or, and safety just, it slows everything down. We need to go right now. Right. Instead of, instead of using safety as a tool, um, it's, it's looked at as a hindrance. And so I still think that we are in a, a polar mindset across the industry. And I think that those that are making the transition from one side to the other kind of get caught in the middle a little bit of going backwards a lot uh, easier than they're going forwards. And yeah. so it's almost easier for a company to just stop and say, 
we're going all the way or we're doing nothing at all. It's the, the cold turkey approach. Because um, in the middle is where you get some of the old, more seasoned employees that can have an effect on the new employees. Right. And then your culture just keeps driving on. And, and Doug, the only thing to add to that, to what Jim's saying, the only thing to add is that from what I've seen in the time I've been with the association, there's been such a transition with these associations as I'm sure you, I'm sorry, within these companies, as you notice, like we're talking about the mergers, we're talking about consolidation, all of this. So many people that, you know, have been in the industry for such a long period of time have moved on and you have a lot of new faces, mm-hmm. a lot of people that, you know, when they're talking about safety, you know, this is how they've, their careers, it's always been important. It's right. always been a very important issue. And you can see that transition. And yeah. I know from the association standpoint, our committee, the committee Jim and I work with, our safety, health, environmental quality, all of those representatives on that committee have a desire, a commitment to safety. Right. They want what they've learned, what they've developed, what they have in their companies. They want to get that out. Right. That's why that's, that's, I think that's very important to highlight too. That's interesting. And I see a parallel in the construction sector. It's, um, you know, the large uh, commercial industrial GCs have developed some phenomenal approaches to working safely. They have, uh, you know, as you said, they've committed resources and energy and dollars and personnel, and they do a phenomenal job. And then you trickle down through, you know, the smaller subs to some of the little mom and pop subs or the two or three person subs where, you know, they, they have no concept necessarily. And, and they may not work with any of those large GCs that will hold them accountable for that. And so, there, there continues to be that struggle in the construction sector as well. How do we get these smaller operators to understand the importance of safety, working safely, and get them the information and, and compel them to do them, you know, show them the advantages to doing these things. And it, it's exactly what you were just describing in the grain world. You know, these large operators, um, the ones that I've encountered here in Nebraska, have come up with some of the most innovative approaches to safety that I've ever seen. And you know that if a, if a person tells you, for example, you know, I used to work for Cargill or whomever that might be, the big operator might be, you know they have been indoctrinated to safety and that they are going to have an appreciation uh, for what that, what that involves. But the little, you know, the little operators are still, you know, challenged by is it, is there value added in that? And I, you know, I'm not sure I see the value. We just need to get the work done. As you were talking about, Jim, just press on, let's get it going. Uh, it slows me down to have to do all that stuff. And, and so I think probably all sectors are dealing with that same issue. How do we push this down into those smaller operations? And maybe those, I mean, maybe the market takes care of that. Maybe the smaller operators just don't survive and everybody becomes you know, absorbed by one of these bigger, you know, players at some point, And then, you know, that will eventually resolve itself. I don't know, but that, that continues to be a challenge. You know, I see that all the time. Um, and it is, you know, I, I guess that's natural to some extent, perhaps. I don't know. Doug, I, I, I see what you're saying there. And, and I'd like to agree with you and um, just tell you about an example that I've seen where, a large company that is doing it right. So let's use a, a construction company for an example. 
a large construction company that is doing it right. They're all on board. They can raise up these subcontractors. They can, they can make that company uh, for them. And it, it, it comes down to a, a selective sourcing type uh, mentality of I'm going to hire companies that have a good safety track record. I'm going to look into their finances. I'm going to look into um, their background. I'm going to look into their OSHA logs. And I want to understand their safety culture. You find a company that is, is willing to, to take that trip with you. And, and that's how these new companies are getting started. Uh, some of the companies I've been involved with, uh, they take all those things into account in a small mom and pop electrical company that's got a cousin and a son working for them that takes it seriously. Next thing you know, they start expanding their footprint and getting some of these jobs. They may start out as small jobs at a, a large company or large grain elevator. They start out small, like in the office, and they keep building and building and building. And next thing you know, you see them pull on the lot with a new truck. You see them adding another employee because now they have more work than they've got the time or the employees to do. And so I think it's the responsibility of the big companies that are getting it right. When they're subcontracting a lot of the work that they do have, I think it's their responsibility to make sure that they're bringing along their contractors, their subcontractors on this safety trip with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, could, um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. And, and we see that, that we actually have a, we have a chapter of the Associated General Contractors here in Nebraska, uh, a building group. And that is one of the, <clears throat> one of the, one of the missions I think that this uh, organization is on is to try to make sure that the general contractors are holding these subcontractors and the multi-tier subs below those subcontractors, you know, holding yeah. them accountable, pushing information down to them. I mean, I think it's almost unrealistic to think they can do that on their own. So, and, and we're not reinventing the wheel. So why don't we, you know, we're pushing information down to them, giving them programs or helping them understand what these expectations are, holding them accountable. And that may be the only way to bring some of these smaller operations along for that journey as you described it i think that's you know so i think we all um have some role in that you know i think that's an interesting approach i think it's a reasonable approach and you know hopefully um we will we will kind of uh you know enlist some support and some uh understanding from some of these other you know other tiers as we're as we're pushing information down that chain well, and, and, you know, and something else to add to that, I mean, from a, I guess you could say from an enforcement standpoint too, Doug, you know, since I came on board, you know, one of the things that I've noticed and, and Jim can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, there were so many of these facilities that had never been inspected before. Mm-hmm. Right. And there were so many, um, when OSHA's enforcement really started in 2010, 2011, after that increase in engulfments, entrapments, 
when it was just all across the board, these emphasis programs going on in the different regions, so many facilities had never been inspected. And so going through that whole process on dealing with OSHA, dealing with an inspection, dealing with a lot of these issues, I mean, and that's where from the NGFA standpoint, we really increased our safety outreach, starting putting together the safety training sessions, started working with our state affiliates on with them to get the information out because many of our state affiliates are fairly small, you know, have a staff of one to two really focused on a lot of uh, policy issues. And so wanted to help them with the safety education training outreach. And so that's, what's really grown in the relationships that we have now with places like Nebraska and, you know, Kansas and, and so forth on, on, on working with them to get this information out and the training that, that Jim and I do too. And mm-hmm. I think that's really helping too with the small to, to medium size facilities. I do too. And I, you know, as you know, I've participated in a number of the local programs that you guys have sponsored or at least participated in here in Nebraska. Uh, the training is exceptional. I've always enjoyed it. I've always learned from it. And I know that, um, you know, the, the folks here in Nebraska certainly benefit from it. So I, I thank you for doing that. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, what, what is next? What's next on the uh, horizon for Grain and Feed? What do you guys, what do you guys have on the, on the calendar coming up? Well, I would just say what we're it's it's a, it's obviously a very interesting year here in 2020. <laughs> I know one of the things that Jim and I are always doing this time of year is working with our state affiliates and trying to schedule our our safety seminars, as we call it, our, our regulatory compliance seminars. Trying to work on scheduling those events, we like to work with them. Um, but one of the big things I would say that we're doing this year, we've been doing all year, is really focusing. Um, on working with the producer groups on trying to get the information out um, uh, regarding engulfment and entrapment prevention. Right. And so that's been a big, it's been a big item that we've been working on this year. And I think one of the things we've been trying to do, you know, we talk about this, a lot of this stuff is some of the same things everyone hears all the time about how do we, you know, bin entry, right. You know, what do you, you know, everyone knows what it is for bin entry. You're trying to get this information out to producers. You still see a high number of incidents that occur, and what can we do to address that? And so there's a lot of different ways we're trying to. And I think it comes down to, you know, what's the message? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the message? How can you deliver that message? Um, you know, what can you do besides having a piece of paper that has the five steps? Right. You know, and those are the things that we're trying to work on because it, for producers are so important to our members, right? They're their customers, right? right? right. They want to do everything that they can to work with them, to keep them safe. And from an association standpoint, that's been a big um, priority for us this this year um, as well. Are, are you guys able to get out on the road yet, Jess, or are you still doing a lot of this stuff virtually? Or Jim and I going? have both done virtual events. You know, we've made presentations at virtual events. Um, um, you know, we did one with uh, Feed and Grain magazine earlier uh, back in June on confined space boot pits, which is another big topic. Mm-hmm. We won't get into that. I don't, you know, on, uh, on what's a required confined space in a boot pit, but that's a big issue within our industry it is. that we deal with. And we did um, uh, presentations on that. And Jim and I have both been involved in others. Um, you know, we, we, both of us are very involved in responding to questions we get from members all the time and a lot of regulatory issues too. Um, so we'd like to trust me, Jim and I would like to get back on the road. We want to be, um, you know, at these, uh, events with our members, um, um, and work with them, those hands on that's the, that's what, that's when they learn. I mean, I think that from the questions, the interaction that we get, you know, that's when you find out people want to talk. 
And it's a great opportunity we've had working with these individual area offices with OSHA, mm-hmm. right, through the alliance that we have with OSHA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a great opportunity for communication, for people to ask questions, sharing of information. Uh, they've been very beneficial. So as soon as we can get back on um, the road, I, you know, I think Jim and I will, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be happy to. You, you know, Jess, that's interesting. You have a really unique perspective on this, having worked in the Office of Outreach and Education with OSHA and, and now in your position. What, what, what would you like to see from OSHA? What could OSHA do? <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe we shouldn't even go down that road, but just, you know, in the last few minutes that we have, what would you like to see from OSHA? Well, I mean, maybe I, I from think- an outreach standpoint or even an enforcement standpoint, what, what should they be doing better? Well, I think, you know, what it comes really comes down to, and I think this is the main issue that uh, that I would say from the industry standpoint, you know, talking with our members, it's an education for OSHA, right? There's some way I wish, you know, the, my, my biggest, my greatest wish would be is if the education and training they provide to the OSHA staff, and you've been to those at the oh, Office yeah. of Training and Education up there outside of Chicago that I've been to, these training courses that are put together, if industry could have input and oh, could yeah. be a part of that training, I think would be so helpful to have that perspective um, to the, for the OSHA staff to have that perspective. And that's something we've been trying to do. And it's just like, that's something I know it's always, it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, we're the, the, the staff, the OTE staff, they're the ones that handle it. They put it together. Sorry. You know, it's not something industry can either be part of the instruction or industry can participate in. That would be the biggest wish. That's helpful. I would completely agree, man. And uh, I I think there... You had to go through it, right? So you know what I'm talking about. I I think there does need to be a bit of a, you know, we've been talking a lot about paradigm shifts and how we implement safety programs and things lately. And I I really, when when I was with OSHA and I was the compliance assistance person, I really, and no disrespect intended to the national office because I know the challenges that you all faced, but... I struggled with the fact that we were so limited as an area office in how we were allowed to structure our programs. There was a partnership structure, you know, there was a a OSHA strategic partnership format that we had to follow. There was an alliance format. It really didn't allow for a lot of latitude in doing that. And certainly a regulatory agency probably shouldn't be permitted to just go off and do their own thing locally. But I think we missed out on a lot, lot of opportunities. And as you described, I mean, the expertise is in the industry, not in the in the agency. Yeah. And uh, that that I think that's a fantastic idea. I I will do what I can here locally to promote that. Although I know that it seems in my conversations with the the, the local guys, the area office guys, who were still friends of mine and former colleagues of mine, that that. The, the restrictions have gotten more, not less, as far as what they can do, as far, you know, outreach and education and things. And Oh, yeah. I'm not no, sure that's the right direction. You're right. And that's that's the main thing. We've been trying to push that through the alliance. What can we do to offer, like, a tour, like a one-day training? Like, you know, bring in the, you know, it doesn't matter where they're from. They could be from the national office, regional, local. Let's take a tour of a facility. Let's show you this is how things operate. This is you know, you see, you may learn, you know, on paper what 1910-272, the grain handling standard mm-hmm. is at your training, but let's show you firsthand. I think let's, that, yeah. let's walk you through, like, you know, this is some of the training we do for our staff. And that's something I think many of our members 
uh, are would be more than willing or would be happy to do so, and I think would be great. And um, that's just the challenge, you know, that we face with, uh, right. you know, be, that fine line, right? Or I shouldn't even say fine line. It's a pretty, it's a pretty solid line. Right. Between, I agree. You know, regulatory enforcement agencies and, um, you know, and, and, and outreach. I, I mean, totally agree, man. And we actually did that. I don't know if you were involved, but I can recall while I was with OSHA in the Omaha area office, it was probably mid-2000s, so I was the CAS at that point, but we were... And I don't know if this is something that we arranged locally or if it came through in Nebraska Grain and Feed, perhaps. But we did have an opportunity to take uh, some of the staff out to a local elevator, uh, and ha- that you know the host, uh, the company was gave us a tour, and we were able to discuss some of those issues. And for a guy like me, I'm a city boy, man. I mean, I'm you know my people come from the farm, but I, you know I was born and raised in Omaha, and so truthfully know very little about the operation of a grain elevator and it was only through just having spent you know I don't know how many I've gone through at this point hundreds but in the beginning I knew nothing and I was being asked to go out and make inspections of these facilities with little to no training and you know I'm sure the quality of the product wasn't what it could have been under those circumstances and so I, I completely agree with you man I think that that there would be no better way to prepare compliance officers to add value in this process than by training them, uh, at least giving them some input from the industry. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. We need to make that happen somehow. Yeah. And some, and there's always, there's both sides of that issue too. There are some that are very supportive of that, you know, think that's great from an outreach, you know, they're thinking forward and there's others too, as Jim can, can attest to are saying no way. <laughs> right. Why do we even want them to know right, what we do? They're going to know what to look for. Oh, so that's interesting like point. talking with members or there's some, there's still some on both sides of that. Right, of Jim? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I lean more towards with you. I think it's helpful establishing that relationship, the understanding you know, they have a better idea. Others are still, I would say, maybe a little from the, uh, I guess you could call it old school, say no way, no how. Right. You know. What so. they don't know, they can't find, maybe. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's so true. Which you had to deal with, I'm sure, too. Oh, of course, man. It, it, it is interesting. I, I'm going to tell you a quick story. I I visited a local meatpacking facility while I was an inspector with OSHA back in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, I went through the facility, you know, and as a compliance officer who has never been in a specific facility, let alone spent much time within a specific industry, you're kind of at the mercy of the host. I, you know, just show me your facility. Well, I think they just walked me around in a circle for four hours and then I was exhausted. I went back to the same facility as a consultant just a few years ago. They retained me to help them with a few things. And I, I asked the guy, did you guys add on to this facility? And he's like, no, I mean, it's been like this for 30 years. I was like, I know I haven't seen half of what I just saw, you know. And so I'm sure that as a compliance officer, they they just could have walked me up and down the same hallway 12 times and I wouldn't have known any difference. So maybe there's something to be said for, you know, less is more as far as, you know, educating those guys. But I would like to think, you know, me personally, I would like to believe that you know, if they did understand the industry a little better, they might be able to at least contribute something of more value through the inspection process. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe that's not, not, the case. this might get me hung, but I, I think that 
transparency goes both ways. Absolutely. And, and, uh, I, I would say that, you know, when we're asking there, there's one side of, of this two headed thing that can issue a citation to the other where right. the other one cannot. Right. And um, I think that transparency is a great thing and that we would all be better for it if we could get both sides. Um, but when one can hit your pocketbook and the other one cannot get a question answered timely, mm-hmm. we've got a problem That's there. A great point. And we need to build uh, trust um, between both sides. And I think that that's exactly where folks like you and folks like Jess come into play. Um, Building that trust, bridging uh, the gap and really leveraging relationships that you already have to, to keep um, to looking as to OSHA as a tool and an assistant um, versus, well, they're going to come in here and they're going to see a problem. And then, you know, I'm not going to be surprised within the next 18 months if I don't get an inspection. Mm-hmm. Well, they might've popped up on the next 18 month roll call. You never know that. And they, you won't convince them otherwise. Right. So I think that you and Jess got to keep doing what you're doing and, uh, to, to bring us even closer together and to, um, uh, and we'd said we weren't going to get into politics on this, um, but we need to keep having programs that assist both and keep showing good faith. You're absolutely right. Man, Jim, that is a very astute observation, and I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, it can't be a one-way street. It can't be everything to the benefit of of the regulatory agency. Um, wow, that's that's true. And I you know, having been part of a field office for almost 20 years, uh, I, I know from my own experience that the agency is not transparent enough. They're not, uh, there is not enough disclosure about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And uh, that oftentimes, you know, leads to maybe actions or reactions that are not in good faith necessarily. And so I think you're right. I think um, while I do believe that you know, more information is better and probably helpful. I think you're right. I think the agency has to earn the trust of the industry if that's the route it wants to go. And, may, and maybe it doesn't want to go that route. I mean, I, I was never asked to make those kind of decisions. You know, usually when, we, when it came to decision-making, I was asked to take a day of leave usually. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I think you're right. I think, you know, the trust has to go both ways and it has to be earned. But it is, I think we all agree that, this safety thing that we do is so much about relationships and, you know, the, the technical side of what we do can be learned and it can be acquired, you know, the relational side, you know, the, um, you know, that the attitudinal side, you know, really is where we need to focus. And I know Jess, you are a relationship guy. That's what you do. Uh, that's what I have done for much of my career is just, build relationships, try to develop some trust and then engage and, and, you know, try to make some progress. But, and and I agree. And and I'll tell you for if to, from, to, to put it in, I would say perspective from a political standpoint, tell the audience this. So I left in 2007 from OSHA to go to NGFA. One of the first things I did was I was suggesting to NGFA, we need to sign an alliance, right? I'm familiar with the program, a great way for outreach 
you know, OSHA and NGFA to work together. Let's go ahead and do this. So we get in there and they're like, OSHA said no. And then the new administration came in and obviously there was more of an emphasis on uh, enforcement and standards than there was an outreach. During that entire time uh, within the administration, we were trying to push for an alliance and they were like, no, 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 no. Then at the end of the administration, they said, okay, well, I think we're ready to sign an alliance with you guys. <laughs> um, we then went through the whole process and then um, at the, uh, we happened to be the NGFA OSHA Alliance was the first one signed in the Trump administration. So that's what for uh, what the new alliances went, we had to go through that entire time. And so then when you look what that has developed, you look at that relationship and what we've been doing and the stand up safety weeks and all these safety outreach with our, um, working with the local area offices, so it just put it in perspective. If there is a change, you know, pot will, you know, with the elections coming up, you know, that's something we're going to have to prepare for. Absolutely. Uh, if there is a change, how are we going to deal with that? That, yeah. that could be a whole other podcast. But these are things, you know, to put it all, put it all in perspective as we're talking about working with the agency and trying to build those relationships. Right. No, I, you're absolutely right. And I think we need to go into this with our eyes open, knowing that, um, Things are subject to change based on the administration. I, I was um, with OSHA during uh, maybe three different administrations, and uh, you know, changing political parties, and it was it was eye opening to me to see how dramatically the agency changed its attitude from one uh, administration to the other. You know, it was like this pendulum swinging back and forth, and. You know, those of us that were somewhat idealistic just felt that, you know, I mean, safety is something that should be very steady, very consistent. Um, but certainly the approach that the agency takes uh, is impacted, you know, sometimes dramatically by the administration. And so I guess we just need to be aware of that. And um, so, yeah, there's different sides. Some feel just like this compliance, more outreach, more assistance, more making everyone aware of what is available to assist. That's one approach. Regulation by shame and fines. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. We're gonna shame you into compliance one way or the other. Yeah. So Brutal. there's two two different approaches to that. And then of course, like you said, there's those that are right in the middle of that that are impacted. Right. No matter no matter what approach is taken, I right? Know. Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are victims of that that uh, you know, that that changing attitude you know and that was always difficult that was something that I really struggled with as an OSHA person was the fact that you know this month we are kinder and gentler and you know next January we are going to be you know heavy-handed and perhaps uh, yeah as you said shame people into compliance that was an odd that was an odd thing to live through as a as an OSHA person certainly but um, guys if if people want more information from NGFA I, I know your website is uh, chock full of stuff, man. There's a lot of great information. Um, is it just M- NGFA.com or what, what is your website? It's NGFA.org backslash safety. Okay. So, so you can go and find directly to our safety page and we have a wealth of information. Uh, all of it, Jim developed. Well, most of it, Jim developed. Um, but a lot of safety tip sheets, guidance documents, li- links to, um, videos, um, all types of information 
uh, is on that page. And then also it's our contact information is on there too. Perfect. So if you have any questions um, and you know, this of it and, and the, the material is available to both NGFA members and non-members. Okay. Right? Terrific. I was going to ask about that. Everyone. Now, so, Jim, Jim's time and my time, that's for NGFA members. Right. So that's an encouragement. If you're not a member, but you want to deal, you want our time, then you can join NGFA and we'd be happy to help as well. Fantastic. So NGFA.org forward slash, is that a backslash or forward backslash slash? safety? Backslash safety. Oh man, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, revealing my age here. Sorry about <laughs> that, man. That's fantastic. I know that I, I've been to the website dozens of times. There's always great information. The calendar of events is probably also posted there. Uh, yeah, that's on our that's on the NGFA page yeah, under issues. And, and are those things limited to members? So if I wanted to participate in a, one of the virtual trainings or something, can I sign up for that if I'm not a member, or would that be limited to members? We have, I mean, I would say majority of our materials. I mean, it's our big events, like our big annual events for members, non-members. But a lot of our, I would say, virtual events, it's open to um, um, to anybody, okay. members, non-members. Okay, fantastic. Guys, um, I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me today. It's uh, really interesting. And I I love this industry. I I really enjoy working with the folks. I mean, they're incredibly gracious people, as you know. I mean, everybody in the industry is, uh, these are good people. And um, I I have certainly enjoyed working with grain folks. Uh, I appreciate your input and what you guys are doing to help us here locally, you know, move in the right direction. If there's anything that you ever want, you know, information disseminated or pushed out, you know, through a through a, a network perhaps that you are not directly tied into, just let let me know. I'd love to be able to do that for you. Other than that, um, any parting thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with uh, before I cut you loose for the? I know you guys have work to do. You're not calling it a day or anything, but it is it is Friday. Well, we do appreciate the invitation. So this was a great conversation. Um, you know, Doug, it's been great working with you both at OSHA and, and, and in your current role as a consultant. And so we're hopefully, hopefully we, when we we're, we're planning to do our next, um, our, uh, our operations conference, we're planning to do it in Omaha this year. So hopefully, you know, next year we can do it and you can, uh, you can come and participate. Cause I'd I think uh, you've been, uh, uh, you you get very high remarks from uh, the times you've been participating. <laughs> right, yeah. Hey man, there's no there's no need we, for that. Yeah, yeah we, you know we, I'm not paying you for this, right? No, no, you're not. No, we're not <laughs> receiving any anything. Uh, no, there's no there's no compensation uh, for appearing on no, this podcast. No, no, no compensation. Yeah, that, that was part of the disclaimer. Oh no, uh, man. Well, no, thank you guys, no, Jim, Jess. Man, it's a pleasure. I just enjoyed the conversation. If no one else listens, which which is not the case, I'm I'm. You know, but I, I truly enjoy catching up with you guys and hearing from you and and hearing about what's going on. So thank you for your time and uh, have a great weekend. Uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Jim, I think you and I will be speaking again on another subject very soon. So I look forward to that. Guys, All have right. a great weekend. Take care of All yourselves. Right. You too. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Talk to you later.